Hi everyone, it's Jame here. What you're about to hear is part two of our discussion on skin and soft tissue infection, where we go over necrotizing fasciitis. Hope you enjoy it. Soon may the editing come to discontinue the Tezo sun. One day when the seer piece done, we'll take our leave and go. Let's talk about neck fasci. So necrotizing fasciitis is rapid onset. It's fulminant. The mortality rate is incredibly high, even with antimicrobial treatment, is about 40%. It is the, the most obvious um, features that the patient's in septic shock. It's basically impossible to have necrotizing fasciitis and look well. Um, if you don't look, if, if you do look well and you've got neck fasci, you're very quickly about to become unwell. Um, so if the patient isn't shocked, the chances are they don't have, have neck fash. Not everybody with skin soft tissue infection and shock has neck fash, but all people with neck fash look shocked. In terms of more local uh, signs, pain out of keeping uh, with physical findings would imply that there's kind of deeper in infection of the skin soft tissues. And paradoxically then, anesthesia, if the nerves have you know, been kind of destroyed in that area by the infection. Uh, these are also uh, signs. And then uh, entrainment, more superficially, entrainment of um, air into the skin causing crepitation. It, it feels a bit like bubble wrap when, when you've, you've got, never felt it. When you feel yeah, it the skin. it's, it's like surgical emphysema. Yeah. Uh, it's what I was thinking of. So, yeah, it's sort of, it's like you touch the skin, there's like bubble wrap. And what that is, is it's little pockets of air in between tissue planes that are being kind of moved by your fingers. It's an incredibly worrying sign uh, to have, or necro obvious necrosis of the skin. And then lastly, if the, the affected area is sort of discharging this kind of thin dishwater-like like pus, um, these, these are all signs that you're actually dealing with a case of neck fash. And this is a, it's a surgical emergency. It's just that uh, we need to think about the antibiotics first. There's no cure for neck fash that doesn't involve cutting out the affected tissue. If you don't do that, the patient will basically 100% die. Uh, and before the advent of effective antimicrobials, almost everybody who got it died. And even now that we've got effective antimicrobials, a significant proportion of people die. And that's with the antibiotics and with timely surgery as well. The, um, when we were talking at the very beginning about the different layers of the skin and we were talking about the fascial layers, um, so necrotizing fasciitis is you know, basically the death of the fascia and it's uh, deeper down. Uh, there, there's a sort of range of different uh, necrotizing skin soft tissue infections that, that can occur. So necrotizing fasciitis is one of them. Um, you can have more superficial infections like a necrotizing cellulitis, or you can have a deeper infection. So myonecrosis comes into that bracket. Um, and again, depending on the layer, there's probably slightly different causes which Jane will come on to in a moment about the different classifications and the organisms. Just thinking about the diagnosis while we're on that, there is a score system which is validated, which I haven't seen people mm. use that much, but it could be useful. And it's this sort of laboratory risk indicator for necrotizing fasciitis or the L-R-I-N-E-C score. And it's a, you know, it's a laboratory score. So they look at six values, CRP, total white blood cell count, hemoglobin, 
sodium, creatinine, and glucose. And it, you, you can put it on a calculator on, online and it plumps out a score and it'll tell you how, you know, if it's, it certainly makes it, it gives you a, a likelihood. But it's one of these scores where, because it's such a serious infection, if you clinically suspect a, having a negative score, even though it says it's unlikely, there's still 10% of the people in the study that validated it had necrotizing infection, which is a huge risk. So Yeah, um, they did, yeah. One in 10 is a pretty high failure really rate, want isn't it? To be waiting for blood, you know, if you're really suspecting necrotizing fasciitis, then you're going to be, you know, yeah. urgently getting a surgical register there as soon as possible. That, that's right. And, and in fact, we, we thought about including the LRINAC score in our updated skin and soft tissue infection guidance. So when we were redoing them recently in, in Lothian, and we decided not to include them because we thought that getting people to stop everything, put everything down, and then laboriously go through this scoring system to see if they thought they had neck fashion off was was maybe not a wise use of their time. And if they suspect necrotizing fasciitis, they should give a ton of antibiotics, get a surgical review, and then think about then think about dialing back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of classification, there are three types uh, of it according to the infecting organism. So type one is polymicrobial, and this is kind of more common when kind of lower limbs and the groin and the perineum are involved. And this is sometimes also called Fournier's gangrene. Um, and that's more likely to involve kind of groiny, faecally gram-negative organisms, uh, anaerobes and, and, and gram-positives too. Uh, type 2 is group A streptococcus, and this is by far and away the commonest cause uh, of necrotizing fasciitis. And then type 3 is uh, clostridium-related, so that um, uh, can cause something called gas gangrene, where you've got uh, gas production within the tissues itself. Uh, so clostridium perfringens is a common uh, cause of this. Um, these typifications are sort of made after the fact, uh, really, when you are going in, uh, it is advisable to go in hard with bactericidal, uh, broad spectrum uh, antibiotics. And well, there's a few ways that you could approach this, and, and practice varies a lot uh, throughout the world, obviously, uh, but also throughout the UK uh, as well. Up until recently, we would give five uh, antibiotics. So we would give Benpen, and that's to cover strep, Fluclox, and that's to cover staph, Clindamycin for toxin production, like you say, and it also covers strep and staph, and some anaerobe cover too. And the only bit of evidence-based medicine that we've got in antimicrobial selection for neck fascia is that clindamycin-containing regimens do better than regimens that don't contain it. So you kind of have to include clindamycin. Gentamicin for gram-negative cover and synergy with Benpain and uh, Fluclox uh, for killing gram-positives and metronidazole for anaerobe cover. So that's your five. So Benpain, Fluclox, Clinda, Gent, and Metro. And what we've done recently, based on the idea that Fluclox is pretty good streptococcal cover in other scenarios, and we're already kind of double covering by giving that and, and Clindamycin, we've dropped Benpain from our recommendations in Lothian. Most of the rest of Scotland still still giving the five drug regimen as far as I know. You don't necessarily need to do this. Some people, places give tazacin and clindamycin. Some people give acarbapenem, uh, usually meropenem and clindamycin. But I don't, I've not really read any 
guidance because I, I was looking at what other people did on microguide um the the app where a lot of um trusts have their antimicrobial guidance in the uk and i didn't see any regimen that didn't contain clindamycin are they and one of the things I think we recommend is that you give a, when the patient first presents the emergency department and you think this is necrotizing fasciitis, rather than getting all these antibiotics made mm. up and drawn up and, you know, doing gentamicin calculator, you just give them a dose of tazacin straight away. They walk in, not yep. not quite that quickly, but as soon as you suspect it, you say, here's some tazacin because the, the value of piperacillin and tazobactam is it's, it, it will cover staphylococcus aureus, it will cover streptococci, it will cover the gram negatives, it will cover the anaerobes. It doesn't have the antitoxin effect. Um, but it's it's good uh, broad spectrum. Yeah, but I mean the the downside of 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 that four drug regimen that used to be five was that it takes two and a half hours to get from start to finish. Uh, all of yeah. those infusions, uh, you can just push them all in. So either you put them all in through four separate lines simultaneously, or you put them in sequentially. Even if you're doing two at a time, it'll take you at least an hour. Whereas the advantage of the uh, initial dose, which is the initial recommended antibiotics are one shot of TAS, so four and a half grams of TAS, and then 1,200 milligrams of clindamycin IV, is that very rapidly you've given something that would cover staph and strep and gram negatives and has some anaerobe cover as well in the PIP-TAS. And then the very next thing you've done is given an antitoxin uh, agent in the clindamycin. Those two uh, gives you kind of breathing space to then you phone the surgical registrar, you phone uh, the microbiologist and say, I think I've got a neck flash case. And then uh, the surgeon comes to see the patient. And while they're doing that, you write up those other four antibiotics, which are what they go on uh, until you determine that it's not neck flash uh, or they go for the ROP. Yeah. And the difference between this and uh, more superficial, less severe infections is that the patient, if they truly have a necrotizing skin soft tissue infection, they're going to go to theatre and they're going to be cutting a load of tissue out. So you should get some of that in the laboratory. So we often do get an organism if they truly have this. So, or more than one if it's a polymicrobial. Um, mm, yeah. And you know, a lot of the times there's going to be toxin mediated uh, the infection. So whether that's toxin producing staph or strep we talked about before, but clostridia, you know, the, there's various different ones. Um, classic might be clostridia perfringens, but also things like septicans, sorderly, they, they produce toxins. Um, and those mm. can be, um, but won't go into too much detail about that, but that's part of the reason why you end no, up you, with you got to save that for the clostridium episode, uh, Callum. Yeah, that's, I think clostridia uh, are really interesting. I'm quite that's fresh content right there. Yes, it's a teaser. <laughs> um, so yeah i think you know necrotizing infection um it's usually deeper layers the fascia can be involved um the surgical management is the key and you know it's uh, you know in terms of diagnostics you know it's all in the signs and symptoms really and the how mm -hmm. well the patient is you can do things like an x-ray and that might pick up bits of gas that you can't feel clinically especially if the patient's extremely tender which they often are um, yeah. You know, you don't really want to be palpating their leg too much. Um, you couldn't get, you can get CT imaging if you're very uncertain and um, there's a query about it, uh, which can help. But to be honest, if you've got a high index of suspicion, the patient needs to go to theatre and have a explorative um, surgery. You know, they'll just cut down and look at the fascia, and it, you'll yeah. they'll know um, once they look at it visually whether it's uh, necrotizing or not.
Yeah. yeah. You ever dealt with a case? Uh, I've not dealt with one person. I've been phoned about quite a lot of cases and managed, like, you know, giving advice on them in ICU. Yeah. Uh, the I, thing um, is, they wouldn't, they, the inpatient work that we do is in Bexley's department, which isn't a front door specialty. So, you know, if you get a case of necrotizing fasciitis at the initial acute phase on our ward, something's gone terribly wrong. Yeah, um, that's true. They should never be there. So, you well, know, that, that's why I was, um, the why, why I, I sort of think that, that writing good antimicrobial guidance is, is you know, so valuable um, and having them being kind of readable is, is so important because most of these infections, you know, almost all of them really, they're not dealt with by infection specialists and quite a lot of them never have kind of contact with microbiology either. They're dealt with by, you know, general clinical teams, medical or surgical. Well, do you have any cases, Jane, that you want to tell us about? Yeah, I do. So I've got, there's one case, which is uh, they shouldn't have been on uh, neck fast stuff and the others that they should have. So I, I got a call when I was doing microbiology about uh, an elderly patient in uh, their 90s who had been admitted from a nursing home with a pretty extensive uh, cellulitis, a lower limb cellulitis. And on admission, her blood pressure had been low. Systolic was, I don't know, uh, in the 90s, let's say. And for that reason, she had been put on the, the, the necrotizing fasciitis uh, guidance uh, because it was you know, severe skin infection and hypotension. Uh, so that means that I, I was being phoned three days in. I was actually being phoned because we have this um, uh, advice that you shouldn't be on gentamicin for more than 72 hours without you know, talking to a microbiologist about it to see if there's a different agent that can be used. So I was being phoned about that. And then I realized that she'd been on Fluclox, fine, uh, gentamicin, nephrotoxic, uh, metronidazole, and clindamycin. 1200 milligrams four times a day uh, for the past 72 hours. A patient in their 90s, a sitting duck for C. difficile. And nobody had thought that maybe this wasn't necrotizing fasciitis. But, you know, any 90-year-old or 90-something-year-old who gets actual neck fasci, I don't think that's a salvageable uh, event. I think that that patient will die. And so that's a case where uh, they, they shouldn't be put on those uh, guidance. They should have just been given treatment for severe soft mm. skin And it kind of comes back to our point earlier on, is if you're suspecting that, you should really speak to an infection specialist. Because I think if they'd phoned you on day zero, day one, you would have, I think, quite rightly said, are you sure about the diagnosis? Which is often the role of the infection specialist is to actually, yeah, you're phoned with this thing that we've got a diagnosis of this, what the treatment and, and the advice is, recheck the diagnosis because that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. And then the other case that I got was, and this one I did have contact with um, when they were in intensive care. It was when I was working abroad. This 17-year-old falls off a skateboard and kind of breaks his hip. And so he's in the hospital and he's complaining constantly about pain uh, in the hip and he's actually being seen by the he's under orthopedics at this point and he's being seen by the painting and he's getting like these huge amounts of opiates and 
initially the the physicians come into contact with him because overnight they're they're being advised they're advising about analgesia he's like needing and initially people think he's kind of faking it they think he's making it up at one point he's labeled as a potential iv drug user and then someone at some point just rolls him over to have a look at his back end and his uh, right buttock is completely necrosed he then goes uh, for, a, for a CT, actually, because uh, they think it might be minor necrosis at this point, uh, secondary to the trauma uh, of the injury. And he's got florid necrotizing fasciitis in his buttocks. And he, he goes uh, to theatre and he ends up getting a hindquarter amputation. So he gets his legs and the lower part of his pelvis removed. That's what necrotizing fasciitis can do to a perfectly healthy uh, teenager. Um, if it's not caught in time. In fact, the, the, the fact that he survived is a bit of a miracle. He was in intensive care for, for weeks uh, as well. So not a condition to be messed with. No, it's powerful stuff, Jane. Yeah, once you've you know, been involved in these cases and uh, yeah, the, the, even if people survive, the morbidity, you know, the effect on their life is, is huge. So it's something really need to get right. And I think that comes back to what you said earlier yeah. on, which is, you go in broader spectrum treatment, you cover all the potential organisms if you suspect it. And then when you diagnose it and you treat it adequately or you your index of suspicion goes down and you decide actually we don't need to cover this anymore and you tail it back and you make sure that you don't do what you, happened to this elderly woman and and don't, uh, don't overcall it and over-treat what is just a normal, uncomplicated skin soft tissue infection and also... Uh, don't miss it so you have to have that index of suspicion and constantly thinking you know could that be could it be necrotizing infection you know yeah wow okay all right anything else to say Cal? no i think just to go over what we've talked about so we've talked about skin soft tissue infections and we've broken that down into the definitions risk factors some of the causative organisms uh, both the most usual ones and the more unusual ones talked briefly about signs and symptoms, the diagnostics, which are not many, and the severity assessment, and then finished on the treatment and a couple of cases uh, there from James' repertoire. Any questions, comments, suggestions, send them to idiotspodcasting at gmail.com. I'm Jane. I'm Callum. See you next week. Goodbye.